0: The Holy Spirit is a person, just the same as you're a person. He has will, and he has intelligence, and he has feeling, and he has knowledge, and sympathy, and ability to love, and see, and think, and hear, and speak, and desire, and grieve, and rejoice. He is a person, this Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I'll send him unto you. The most important thing in the world is that this blessed Holy Spirit is now present here in this church tonight.
1: All right, good morning. You guys can say good morning back. Good morning. <laughs> all right. Hey, it is great to be here. And Lizzie, thank you for uh, your words of encouragement and just that prayer. As uh, you know, it's so good to be able to come back together. I think, like this, as 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 church family, as people of faith, and just rem- be reminded of uh, of who our hope is in, and then also to lift up our brothers and sisters all over the globe in prayer. So uh, certainly, our hearts and thoughts and minds and prayers are, are with the, the people in Ukraine today. I want to share with you a story to kind of get us started, and um, it's about a guy named George Owen Walton, okay, George Owen Walton, and he was born in 1907 and became an estate appraiser, an estate appraiser, and so, you know, when, when folks would uh, choose to have their estate sort of, like, valued, he would be the person that would do that, and because of that, he often had first dibs on, like, coins, guns, jewelry, and books, and, and over time, he built up quite a collection. And at the age of 38, he was given the opportunity to purchase one of only five 1913 Liberty Head nickels. Okay, He had the chance to buy one of five 1913 Liberty Head nickels, and he jumped at the chance, and so he purchased it for just over $3,700. This is what it looked like. He told his family, hey, one day, this is going to be worth a fortune. Well, 17 years after Walton's Liberty Head purchase, he died in an automobile accident on his way to having it appraised. Can you believe that? Literally died in an accident on his way to having it appraised. And although he never made it, the Liberty Head nickel was still appraised. A group of appraisers actually declared it to be a fake, worth nothing. They marked it no value and uh, they returned it to the family and it laid tucked away on the floor of a closet. Well, eventually, uh, Walton's nephew, a guy by the name of Ryan Givens, Ryan Givens, inherited the nickel. And although the nickel had been dismissed as a, as a fake, not worth anything, something told Ryan Givens that maybe his uncle was actually right. And so he hung on to it. You probably can guess where this story's going, right? And in 2003, the other four Liberty Head nickels uh, went on display, and a million-dollar prize was offered to anyone who could show up with the fifth nickel million dollar prize and so with high hopes Givens submits his coin for evaluation and after hours of comparing and contrasting it with the other four nickels six appraisers announced that it was genuine Given had held onto that nickel and he held on to it another decade and eventually sold it for over three million dollars not a bad return on your investment are you with me I think we'd all take that return but imagine that, I mean, a coin worth more than $3 million sitting on the floor in the corner of a closet somewhere for decades because you assumed it was worthless. I want you to hold on to that for just a minute, okay, that story. Uh, we're in week four of our series on the Holy Spirit, and I don't know if you've been here for all four weeks, but I, I think this is just such an important topic for us to touch on because I feel like it's a, it's a much-needed conversation because I think too often, Uh, I think the Holy Spirit really is a sort of forgotten God. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book about the Holy Spirit titled The Forgotten God, and I think he's spot on because I think we're um, familiar with the Holy Spirit. uh, Excuse me, let me fix my mic here real quick. For some reason, it's kind of coming apart back there. Try that. If not, I may have to grab a handout. Um, I think we're familiar with God the Father, right? Created the world, loved us. We're familiar with Jesus uh, the Son, came to earth, showed us how to live. Right, Uh, walked this earth as a as a man, eventually died and came back to life for all of us. But then there's the Holy Spirit, and I'll admit myself, even I think the Holy Spirit's kind of hard to wrap our arms around. Am I right? I mean, you know, at the same time, I think there's a a mystery about the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to take the mystery out of the Holy Spirit. I don't think we should even try to take the mystery out of the Holy Spirit. But I also don't want us to kind of push it aside, fail to recognize its value. Because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, let's remember, we are talking about God. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. And if you missed any week in this series, I would encourage you to go back and catch it on demand. And the first week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit communicates with us. The second week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit frees us. And the young lady that was in the video, the Be the Church moment, she shared an incredible story that week. I would encourage you to go take a look at her full story. Week three, we talked about how the Holy Spirit equips us, and today, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit empowers us. I'll tell you what, say that after me, okay? Empowers us. Yeah, you guys are with me. Okay, cool. And to get started, I want to look at an incident in uh, the life of Jesus that's recorded um, by Mark, and he was an eyewitness of Jesus' life. And, and here's the context, just to kind of set the, the table for what we're going to talk about here. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he's growing in popularity due to his incredible teaching and his amazing miracles. He's healing people. And so when he returns to his sort of adopted hometown of Capernaum, people just jam into this house, hoping like anything to have the chance to get as close to him as possible. Well, some men hear that uh, Jesus is in town, and they decide to bring their paralyzed friend to see Jesus. But by the time they get to this house, it's so jam-packed with people, they can't get anywhere near Jesus. And so in their desperation to bring their friend to Jesus, they decide to go up on the roof and they literally dig a hole in the roof and lower their friend down through that hole in the roof on a mat to get as close to Jesus as possible. Now, if you've heard this story before, don't let that kind of go in one ear and out the other, okay? These guys climbed up on the roof of somebody's house they probably didn't even know and cut a hole in the roof to lower their friend through that hole to see Jesus. Now, if I was the owner, I'd be thinking, man, I thought I was hosting like a party here. What is going on, right? Right? But that's what they did. And here's my favorite part of the story, okay? Mark tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, don't miss that. Mark tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the crowd that was gathered there, all right? Not the faith of the man who was lowered through that hole in the roof who was paralyzed. No, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of his four friends who brought him there, cut that hole in the roof, and lowered him down through that hole to see Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to that man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if it were me, I would I would give anything to see the look on the faces of those four guys when Jesus said to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Because I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking... Whoa, 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 time out. We came all this distance, brought our friend in this mat, went up to the roof, cut a hole in that roof, lowered him down in front of you, and, you know, forgiveness of sins, that, that's all good, Jesus, but we came for the good stuff. Are you with me? Like, like what I really want here is a miracle. We wanted our friend to walk again. <laughs> we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want us to see something else that I think is really important that's going on in this story. We all know that Jesus is open to the Holy Spirit, right? Give me a nod of the head. Jesus, of course, he's, he is, you know, him, God, the Holy Spirit, like three in one. So he, like anybody else, more than anybody else, was open and guided by the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, he knows, he knows that this man's most obvious need is for physical healing. He can see that, right? But you know what? Jesus knew his greatest need was for what? Yeah, spiritual healing. You see, Jesus could see his most obvious need was for physical healing. The man could not walk. But his greatest need was for spiritual healing. And so that's what Jesus gives him first. Spiritual healing. And I don't know about you, but that was such a great reminder for me this week because I was thinking about this story that like, I get so caught up on my physical needs. Right? What I think I really need. And for me in this moment, it was like God was saying, no, 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 you know what you really need? You need spiritual healing more than anything else. You see, Jesus' primary calling was to the mission of helping people find their way back to God. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost, people that were far from God. And in that moment, see, the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to carry out the mission. And so when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiving, he's granting this man something way more valuable than physical healing. He's granting that man spiritual healing, the chance to find his way back to God to restore his relationship with his heavenly Father. And if you've been around community at all, you know, you know <laughs> how passionate we are about being empowered for that mission. And our mission has been, right here, helping people find their way back to God through Jesus for as long as I can remember. That's what kind of just gets our hearts beating fast. That's, what why, that's why we're so glad you're here. And we know that all of you are on different journeys at different points in finding your way back to God. And we know that finding your way back to God is a life-changing moment, for sure, when you choose to follow Jesus. But it's also a life-growing process that all of us are on, right? So it's not just a, a slogan we, we uh, memorize, folks. This is like a code that we live by. Actually, I, I would be curious, real quick, quick show of hands here. Who here would say that like this paralyzed man, it was a friend or group of friends that first introduced you to Jesus and helped you find your way back to God? Just quick show of hands. Who would say that it was a friend or a group of friends that first... In- All right, yeah, a bunch of you. Yeah, I think most of us would probably say that. And if that's true about you, then you're likely here because somebody, you see, was empowered for mission. Somebody responded, the Holy Spirit prompting them to carry out the mission of Jesus. But here's where I think it gets, I don't know, maybe even more interesting. Because not only was Jesus empowered for the mission, he was also empowered for the miraculous. Not only was Jesus empowered for the mission, he was also empowered for the miraculous. Now back to our story, okay, a war of words between Jesus and the religious elite of that day that were in that house uh, ensues after he offers this man forgiveness of sins because to them, they didn't get along with Jesus. He was taking a lot of their recognition away, saying things that they didn't agree with. They were kind of like this, and they thought when Jesus offered this man forgiveness of sins, he was saying he was God, which he was. They thought that was blasphemy, And so Jesus shocks them further when he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And you know what happened? It says right there, right? He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. I love that last line, in full view of them all. Can you imagine being there? It's almost like the the crowd parted ways, and this guy just walks out in full view of everyone. Talk about a drop the mic moment. Am I right? I mean, really. I mean, one moment, this guy couldn't take a single step on his own, right? And the next moment, he picks up his mat and he's walking out. Let's not let that kind of just go in one ear and out the other. The miraculous occurred. But here's what we can so easily miss. And this is kind of where I want to focus a good chunk of our time here today. Please hear me on this. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to perform miracles is available to you and me. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to perform miracles is available to you and me right here, right now. And uh, man, I know that's hard to believe <laughs> because this power is way beyond what most of us have ever experienced. And I'm just going to be honest with, be real with you. I'll admit I I am often the first to be hesitant or cautious to even be open to having any any semblance of this kind of power. And I know some of you may have been in circumstances where somebody you know, claimed it was God's miraculous power and it, and it turned out to be fake or, or maybe phony and it left you more skeptical than ever. And so for all sorts of reasons, right? We resist anything we can't explain or understand. Are you with me? I mean, that's just kind of how we're wired, right? Especially our Western mindset. If I can't explain it or I can't understand it, then I don't believe it, right? And yet, folks, over and again, we see that Jesus was empowered for mission and he was empowered for miracles. It's over and over again throughout scripture and he offers us access to that same power. So here's the question, okay? I really want you to wrestle with this, okay? Do you believe that the Spirit empowers us in the same way today? Answer that in your head, okay? Just really wrestle with that. Do you believe that the Spirit empowers us in the same way today? Because today, things work differently than they did when Jesus was here. <laughs> you see, since Jesus died and rose again, His promise to those who follow Him, which I, that's why we're here, right? We're, we're following Jesus, right? Is that the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of us. He called that the gift of the Spirit. When we follow him, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in this incident that we just read about, where this paralyzed man was healed, right? The men had to bring their friend to Jesus, travel who knows how many miles, cut a hole in the roof, lower him down through that hole in the roof on the mat to be where Jesus was, right? But for us today, because the Spirit lives inside of us, guess what? Jesus is already here. He's here. You see, because Jesus comes to us through us, we too are empowered for mission and miracles. In fact, Jesus says that his followers won't just continue the mission, they will actually accelerate the mission. Think about that. We don't just continue it. No, we accelerate it. I feel like I'm dropping a lot on you today. (laughs) Maybe it's just me as I was wrestling with this this week. I don't know. But Jesus' closest friend and follower, John. Okay, If anybody knew Jesus well, it was this guy. Capture something Jesus said that I think might even pique a skeptic's interest. Jesus said this. All right, very truly I tell you. Now anytime uh, you see very truly, you need to, you need to take note because Jesus is about to drop something on us, okay? Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, and we know that when it says believes doesn't just mean like mental assent. Yeah, I believe it. No, it means whoever follows me will do the works I've been doing and they will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. In other words, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to the Father. Died, rose again, went back to the Father. I'm leaving you to carry out my mission. Part of that's the miraculous, folks. Now, there's so much more in these words than we have time to completely unpack today. But I want to clarify for a moment what it's not saying, okay? First, what it's not saying. Jesus is not saying that we will do greater things in the sense that we will uh, one up Jesus' miracles. Okay, this is not a contest. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? Um, we're not going to do bigger miracles necessarily. You know, because Jesus fed the 5,000 doesn't mean we will fi- feed 6,000. Because Jesus walked on water doesn't mean that we're going to do cartwheels on water. Okay, it's not like that. On the contrary, okay, Jesus is saying that what his followers can do will be quantitatively greater. You see, there's going to be much more of his mission accomplished because his work will be multiplied in all of us. Does that make sense? There will be more of his work done because it's multiplied in every single one of his followers as we let the Holy Spirit empower us for mission and for miraculous. How's that possible? Well, it's possible because once Jesus defeated death and returned to the Father, all sorts of new possibilities opened up for us because now Jesus gives each of us the same Holy Spirit power that was at work in him while he was here. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes it this way, and it's mysterious, but he says, he says, you know, don't just believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, what? What's it say there? Be what? Help me out. Be filled filled with the Spirit. What does that mean, right? I know I received this gift, but what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't know, maybe, maybe this will help a little bit, okay? Go with me on this, all right? Anybody, lo- anybody here love to sail? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> That's good. You know what? Let's just be honest. <laughs> I know nothing about sailing, but I still think this kind of works, Okay. So I'm not going to pretend to be a sailing expert, but I really feel like this helped me kind of think this through. I I have been sailing a few times, mostly on vacation when I can hire somebody to do it that actually knows what they're doing. But I I will tell you this, and maybe you've had the same experience. I I walk by like Diversity Diversity Harbor or Belmont Harbor, and particularly on a windy day, I'll see some people out there taking those sailing lessons, and I'm like, I am so glad I am not on one of those boats. That would not be safe. But if you've ever sailed before, I think it really is a good picture of what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit because sailing is an experience, all right, but it's an experience that requires intentional action. Sailing is an experience, right, but it's also an experience that requires intentional action. I mean, catching the wind on a sailboat is an experience. I mean, when that, if you've ever been on a boat with a sail like that, when that wind catches the sail, I mean, there's a bit of a rush, right, as you're, you're moved forward by a force that you can't even see. But sailing is also an intentional action. There's an art to it that I don't fully understand. But I do know that you know, if you don't hoist the sail at just the right time or adjust the jib and all those other things, the lines and the you know, rigging, I mean, you're not going to go far, even if the wind is blowing powerfully. right? So there's an intention on your part that you have to take in order to let that wind blow into those sails and take you where, you, where it wants to take you. Now, a real sailor will tell you that sailing requires a responsiveness to that external power, to the wind. You can't power a sailboat on your own. You might as well drop your sails and opt for a rowboat, right? And I, here, Here's kind of what I'm saying today. And I'm speaking from conviction in my own heart today too. I think when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think many of us have spent way too much of our lives rowing when we could be sailing. I think way too many of us have spent, and myself included, spent way way too much of my life rowing when I could be sailing. And here's where I'm going with this. You know, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think we have to ask ourselves, well, what does it look like then to be filled, to sail? Well, often, (laughs) and this might be the hardest part, often, you know what I think it means? I think it means waiting. Waiting for the Holy Spirit rather than just kind of plowing ahead in my own power. Because I am really, really good at plowing ahead on my own power. I'm kind of wired that way. It's I can control that, right? Waiting. It's a different ballgame, but I think that's what it looks like to sail. Sometimes you have to just kind of wait for the wind, right? You got to wait for the Holy Spirit to prompt you to lead you. I think being filled with the Spirit often means making mistakes and learning and being willing to grow in your awareness of how the Holy Spirit does speak to you. And so it caused me to wonder, you know, how many. Miraculous endings like what we saw with this paralyzed man who was healed, might I miss out on because I'm not being filled with the Holy Spirit. How many miraculous endings might we miss out on because we aren't allowing ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm pretty sure I still get it wrong more often than I get it right. Uh, but I want to just share with you one example where I think maybe I'm growing a little bit in this area. And I hope this will be helpful to you. You know, a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to probably embarrass a couple people here today, but that's okay. Um, a couple, Now you're all going, oh, who is it? <laughs> um, a couple weeks ago, we all got here about the same time we usually do on Sunday morning. It was about 8 o'clock. Uh, and for some reason, before we started to unload the truck, I, and those of you that were here on that morning, before we unloaded the truck, a handful of us were standing by the entrance, by the front door, when, when one of the guys, and it was Tim, I'll just tell you, Tim. Uh, Tim says, you know, I can't stay today because I've got this really bad pain in my neck. And so I'm just going to have to go home and take it easy today. And um, first, of course, it was like, yeah, sure, you, do. you just don't want to stay and help. Um, but no, it was real. He, he really had been struggling with a pain in his neck. Not that Tim was a pain in the neck. He had a pain in his neck. <laughs> and he needed to go home. And when, when he said that, said that, I mean, immediately I felt this prompting to speak up and say, hey, you know what, let's just all form a circle real quick here. Let's pray for God to take away this pain in Tim's neck. All right? But you know what, even in those few seconds when I felt like maybe the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, just, just say that, it's not a big deal, I felt myself backing up and backing off from what I was feeling like the Holy Spirit was prompting me to do and say. But this time I kind of, I followed through and I said to the guys, standing, hey, let's just form a circle here real quick and let's just pray that God heals Tim's neck. There was no eloquent prayer. There was no palm to the forehead. <laughs> there was nobody dropping on the floor. <laughs> it was just a simple prayer, folks. And that was it. And I'd like to tell you that he was healed in the moment, and he stayed to help us set up. That's not what happened. He was healed eventually. But, but here's what I want you to take away from that. And again, I get this wrong more than I get it right. I'm just sharing with you a simple example of what I think this might look like. Because that's what's most important here is that we respond, that we respond when we get those promptings. And my past experience tells me that when we do that and the more quickly we respond, the more comfortable and more confident we become. Does that make sense? And I think we also have to stop trying to protect God's reputation. Here's what I mean. I think oftentimes we're hesitant to do those sort of things because we feel responsible for the outcome. Stop it. <laughs> Let's not feel responsible for the outcome. Let's just re- respond to the Holy Spirit and pray for a miracle. And that's just one example of what I think it could look like. Now, I would guess if I were to ask for a show of hands here today, um, I think almost everyone here would say, Yeah, I would love to be empowered for the mission. I would love to be empowered for the miraculous I mean you're here on a Sunday morning for a reason right you're on a journey you're you're seeking to find your way back to God I think that's something all of us would love to experience you know just kind of putting up our sails of faith and, and expecting the spirit to fill on them, them right but I think the question is how I mean how do we get the more of the spirits were at work in our lives because let's remember I mean it was the faith of those four guys who brought their friend to Jesus that that prompted Jesus to heal their friend right But faith isn't something we just kind of buy on Amazon and have it sent to us overnight through Prime, right? Faith requires intention on our part. So what does it look like for us to raise the sales of faith, if you will, to be filled with the Spirit? Let me just give you three real quick ideas, kind of the wrap-up on this talk, okay? Three quick ideas. You might want to write these down. For starters, I think a growing faith demands that we slow down. A growing faith demands that we slow down down we make time for God you've heard me say this before but my best time with God no doubt for me is in the morning over a cup of coffee that's when I have my best times with God because I think it's before I get too far distracted by everything else that I got coming at me throughout the course of the day it's when I'm alert and that's when I start my day with God I do that not because I'm a pastor I do that because I'm a Christ follower and I want to be spirit-led And slowing down to be with God and hearing from Him, I think is one of the most important things that any single one of us can do as a follower of Jesus. You see, when we slow down and we open ourselves up to prayer and we open our hearts and lives to God, we're going to connect with Him, we're going to hear from Him, and even be shaped and directed by Him. But we have to slow down. We have got to slow down. Kind of reminds me, once in a while when my kids were little, and they really wanted my attention. You know. I was busy, Dad, going here, going there. They'd like grab my face, you know. Hey, Dad, you know. I wonder if God's kind of doing that, that, that to us sometimes. Hey, you know, hey, Dan, <laughs> right, you know. Hey, Raquel, slow down, right? I want to talk to you. That's the first thing. An equally important part, I think, is reading God's word. And these might sound simple, but keep these in mind. Slow down we got to be in the word. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. He said, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And if we ever have hope to have our faith grow to the point where we'll drop what we're doing to carry a friend to Jesus so that they can be healed, then we've got to be reading and hearing God's word. We've got to be reading and hearing God's word on a regular basis. And I know many of you started the year by signing up for our Community Daily And you can do that at the website. It comes as an email like at 4.30 in the morning before any of us are awake. It's a brief scripture, some questions for reflection based on the big idea from the previous Sunday. I just want to know how many of you continued to do that? Yeah, we did that during our time of prayer and fasting. Go back to that. Be in the Word on a regular basis. Take time to read and reflect on Scripture. And finally, as you work towards building your faith and slowing down and spending time in the Word, you're going to hear the Holy Spirit call you to respond. It's going to happen. And it might be something that you read in Scripture. It might be something someone said to you. It might be something that you heard in church. It might be something that you were prompted to do or respond to while you were praying. But I just want to challenge you to quickly respond. And that takes a lot of courage. I mean, think about our friends who brought their friend to Jesus, went up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, lowered their friend on a mat, in order to get close to Jesus. That took tremendous courage. And there will be times when God asks you to respond in a way that's going to take a lot of courage. Or it might be something like what, uh, uh, what happened with our friend Robbie. And I want you to hear his story.
0: My name is Robbie. I've been coming to community almost five years. So we were in service, and what was suggested to do was to pray and to be quiet and see what, if a name rose up in your heart. And a name did rise into my heart pretty quickly. This happened to be a friend of my mom, who I really don't communicate with very much. I don't have her phone number or anything. I was like, "Mm, God, can I get another role on this? Can I get a different name? So this really seemed like a a little bit of a push. I reached out to my mom, I got her phone number, sent a text message, gave her that message that I was prompted to deliver. And at first she just responded, thank you. And I'm like, yep, definitely. That one way, that one was weird. She texts back later on, and told me she goes, "Now, after thinking about what you experienced, really touched me because I've always wanted to hear those words. That was the lesson that I needed to learn. That was the lesson I needed to, to hear. And that was the, the faith-building exercise for me to continue on." my journey of being receptive and being silent and clearing out the clutter, to be able to hear and feel those promptings. One of my um, small group members, or actually co-leader, Jill Maddox, had told me that she went to the same service where, you know, what name rises up in you and to deliver a message to them. She's like, Robbie, I got a name that I have no clue of. She's like, I got the name Renee. I don't know Renee. And in that time, I told her, I'm like, well, in Alpha, I have a Renee that's on my, on my team. And she's like, well, I have a message for Renee. And so I connected Jill with Renee. They didn't know each other, never heard of each other, never seen each other. At that time, Renee was not feeling close to God. And the message that Jill delivered kind of validated what Renee needed to hear in the sense of, is God still here? Is he around? Is he listening to me? Does he hear me? And in that time, it was the exact message that she needed to hear. I wasn't part of the message. I was just the bridge to these two to bring them together. And, you know, the Holy Spirit works magic in, in all groups. So,
1: I love those stories. And I also love how they're often um, so interconnected, uh, you know, and how you responding to the Holy Spirit um, may be important because somebody else is responding to the Holy Spirit in the same way, in a different place, at a different time. But somehow, uh, they can be related, and we wouldn't have the opportunity to see that connection uh, had we not responded. Um, I hope you remember that story I shared at the start. Do you remember? It was a few minutes back, uh, George Walton is Liberty, uh, Liberty nickel, uh, a coin worth over $3 million that was just sitting in a closet uh, collecting dust in the lockbox. Had no idea how valuable it was. And I guess I want to say that to us as a community right here in Lincoln Park, let's not let that happen to us when it comes to the potential that the Holy Spirit has to empower us uh, for the mission and for the miraculous. Um, instead, let's slow down. Let's take time to spend in in the word. And then let's, let's quickly respond to even those smallest promptings. We might even feel a little self-conscious. You might feel a little silly even. Um, but let's collectively be that kind of place uh, where we encourage each other to respond uh, when the Holy Spirit speaks. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful. God, we are so grateful that... Uh, um, when you came to earth as, as a man lived and died and, and came back to life, you didn't leave us alone. As a matter of fact, Father, you, you promised to come to life inside of each and every one of us as we choose to follow you. And so, um, in essence, there's more of Jesus around now than there was 2,000 years ago. And for that, we are grateful. Uh, God, just help us to collectively um, slow down uh, to hear from you and then to quickly respond. We pray this in your son Jesus name.